Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being just a man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save the people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God's, God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come today to worship the fulfillment of this promise in Christ and your sovereignty and your love and your perfect timing, Lord. We thank you that we can celebrate those things every day, but that we can take time today and reflect on them a little more. We thank you for your word and your faithfulness. May we glorify you here today in Jesus' name. Good morning. Go ahead and have a seat. So that last song, how many of you hyperventilated? That was pretty quick, wasn't it? It's Jason's fault. He wanted it fast, so we did a fast. We did a fast. Good morning, everybody. Now my rope is, uh, thing is all messed up. It's good to see you all. See, why is this all doing this? Here we go. All right. I'll get dressed eventually. Good morning. Whew, man. I feel a little flustered. I'm feeling a little flustered. It's, um, Usually we go through 2 Samuel. That was my plan. That's what I promised. And then I uh, decided to change it last minute. And well, not last minute like yesterday, but last minute like last week. And uh, so we are going to go through the, um, the Christmas story. And the focus of this is the prophecy fulfilled. So if you were with us last night, you heard me talk about the genealogy that comes before these, these verses and before the Christmas story. And, and the whole point of that genealogy by Matthew is to point out that God has a plan. He's got a purpose. There's all of these people leading up and his hand is guiding history to come to that one focal point of Christ coming, the Messiah coming as a baby. It's all focusing in that one event, that one advent. And when he comes, or as he's coming, maybe you should say, and through this story, that doesn't change. God's still moving. God is still working. God is still doing what he promises. Now, there's a difference between you and me and God, right? Have you ever made a promise that you had the full intention of keeping, but as the time went on, you realized, yeah, I can't keep my promise for whatever reason, situations, um, health, what, I mean, something comes up that's yeah, you can't really grasp and understand exactly why it's happening, but it's screwed up your plans. Everything is messed up and you can't fulfill your promises. Well, even at the best of times, we can make promises as human beings with the greatest of intentions, 
But the reality is, is that we don't even know what's going to happen in an hour, let alone what's going to happen next week or an hour from now uh, or a week from now or a year from now. That's not how God is. God doesn't work that way. He's working all things in history to accomplish his plans exactly as he desires. And through his prophets, through his prophets, God spoke of the coming Messiah, the Christ who would save his people from their sins. And so Matthew in his gospel, he makes reference to these these prophecies. He does it throughout his entire book. And the whole focus of that or purpose of that is to say, God has fulfilled exactly what he has promised. And the Advent story, the the story of Christ coming to earth is no different. He gives um, uh, he gives prophecies through each one of these sections from beginning to end. None of it was an accident. None of it was by fate or coincidence. None of it was God standing up there, wringing his hands, going, oh my goodness, um, Herod, Herod's trying to kill my son. What, what, what do I do? Well, I hope this all works out. No, he's working it out himself. All of it was planned and ordained and brought about by God. And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to quickly look at each of these prophecies. So um, Jenny just read read the first section, and we're going to talk about that prophecy that she spoke of really, really quick. It's not going to be enough. It's not going to be in depth. So those of you who are, you know, Bible nerds like me, and you're like, but I want to get into Isaiah. Okay, we don't have time. I'd love that. Um, But but no, not this morning. and then we're going to read through each one of these sections. And if you've read the story before, it's, it's, got to, it's going to be familiar to you. But to look at these prophecies, how has God used them or how did God use them to fulfill or to proclaim that he is fulfilling the coming of the long-awaited Messiah? So this is the prophecy that, that um, Jenny just read. This is in verses uh, Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now these words were spoken by the prophet Isaiah when the nation of Israel was divided. There was Israel. Now this is going to be really confusing. So all the people of Israel was divided Israel in the north, Judah in the south. They were, they were divided into two different separate nations. And Judah was under attack by a large force from Israel and Syria. And all indications pointed to the, to the fact that Judah is about to be overrun, overrun and, and Jerusalem is about ready to be just leveled. But God promises Judah. He says to the king that Judah is not going to fall. I'm going to deliver you and Israel who is attacking you is going to be shattered and sent into exile never to bother you again. And God himself says, this is the sign that I will give that what I say that you will be saved by Israel and Syria, by me from Israel and Syria, this is a sign that I give to you that a virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and she will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
And so this sign, this is a sign to Judah, to the nation, that God is with his people and will save his people. Now that's in Isaiah, save them from the destruction and defeat, okay? Now, Matthew now brings this in and he speaks the same prophecy and saying this prophecy, it was fulfilled in Isaiah's time, but it was ultimately fulfilled in the Virgin Mary conceiving and bearing a son who would be called Emmanuel, God with us, God in the flesh coming to earth to save his people from utter destruction from their sins. So he's using this. He's, he's saying, look what God did. He gave this prophecy for the time of Isaiah, but it actually points to Christ. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to continue through this, or you have your Bible apps, go ahead. Turn to Matthew chapter 2. And I'm going to read these one, this one section at a time. This is the visit of the wise men. So chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so, for so it was written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose, when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So these words, And you, O Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So the nation of Judah, going back to where this is, is spoken of in the book of Micah, the nation of Judah hasn't learned their lesson. <laughs> Remember they were saved by God and they turned to him and they worshiped him. Well, nation of Judah now has rebelled against God. They have turned from his ways. They've forsaken his commands. The rulers and the prophets are corrupt. And despite the many warnings by God, Judah continues to rebel and to go in their own way, ignoring God. Then through the prophet Micah, Judah's end is finally predicted. Remember, Israel is gone. They've been sent into exile. Well, Judah is not too far behind. The nation of Judah will soon be sent into exile in Assyria. Jerusalem will be leveled. So what they feared the most back in Isaiah's day now is happening. 
because of what they have done in their disobedience to God. And in fact, in 586, this happens. No Davidic king sits on the throne of Israel for 600 years because of their disobedience. But Micah says, so he's predicting this. The prophet Micah is predicting this. You're going into exile and you will no longer have David on the throne, a son of David on the throne, because the nation is not going to exist. At least not yet. Because one day, Micah says, a ruler will come out of the tribe of Judah, which is what the tribe of David was from, and from the seemingly unimportant town of Bethlehem, which is the town that David grew up in, And he, this ruler, will shepherd. He will lead and guide and care for God's people. Well, at the time of Christ's birth, even the scribes and chief priests understood that this was a prophecy of the coming of the Messiah. And it seems that even Herod himself believed that this prophecy was true because, and coming true during his time, because he desires to kill this ruler in order to save his own kingship. But when Christ comes, Matthew was saying, this is the ruler. 600 years you've been waiting for the king to come, and guess what? He is here. And then continuing in Matthew. Verses 13 through 15. Now when they had departed... That is the wise man. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Now, this prophecy comes from the book of Hosea, and it's actually addressed to the nation of Israel. So now we're going back in time. (laughs) Israel is still the north, in the north, this nation in the north. Before they're sent into exile, the Lord tells them, you're going to be punished for your adultery against me, for worshiping false idols, and I'm going to remind you, and I'm reminding you now, that though you have been unfaithful to me, I have done nothing but show you steadfast love and faithfulness. You committed adultery. I never have. And specifically, then God points to the fact that when Israel cried out to God in the the, um, nation of Egypt, in slavery, they said, save us. Will save us. They're crying and they're groaning out in their despair and in their, their pain. And God says, I heard you and I delivered you out of Egypt. Now, fast forward to the time of Christ. Joseph, Mary, and Jesus flee to Egypt in order to avoid the murderous desire of Herod. And like the nation of Israel's deliverance out of slavery in Egypt... So God calls Jesus, the true Israel, out of Egypt. Not out of slavery. He wasn't a slave. But he is taking the path that Israel took. In fact, a better path, straight back to the promised land rather than through the wilderness. You see, Israel's exodus out of Egypt, 
There's a lot of imagery there. But what it ultimately points to is that out of Egypt, out of Egypt, God is going to bring not his people, but his son, his true son, the true son of God to come to the promised land to his people and to care for his people. Okay, so now continuing in Matthew, we're going through this really, really fast. There's a ton of details in all of these that we just don't have time to work through. Verse 16, then Herod, when, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and all that region who were two years older, um, two years old or younger, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Now, this prophecy is from Jeremiah 31, 15, where Jeremiah is speaking now to Judah, the southern nation. You keeping this all straight? They're in exile in Babylon. So this is after the exile. False prophets were claiming to the nation, hey, your exiles, it's not going to last much longer. It's just going to be a few years. And then you're going to go, go back to Israel and everything's going to be great. And Jeremiah says, yeah, Judah, you're going to be restored. In fact, Israel and Judah together, they will one day be restored, but not for 70 years, not for a whole generation or more. Will you go and see the promised land again? Rachel, so in this prophecy, Rachel, the mother of Jacob's sons, Joseph and Benjamin, she represents Israel as a whole. And so the nation is weeping over the destruction of Israel by the Babylonians and the Assyrians, but God will one day restore a remnant of a faithful Israel back to the land after 70 years. Now in Matthew, the weeping is for the destruction of the boys that are killed by Herod. But like the prophecy of the nation of Israel, there is a promised restoration through Jesus who fled Herod and then one day will return out of Egypt just like the nation of Israel did. And through him, God is going to restore a faithful remnant who will love and follow him. Now the last section 19 through 23. And this is actually, this prophecy is actually one of my favorites. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt saying, arise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judah, Judea, in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he, went, and he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. He shall be called a Nazarene. All right, so this is one of my favorite ones, which will be interesting because this is one of the more difficult ones because there's no actual specific prophecy in the Old Testament that uses these words. And you go, well, how can that be your favorite one? 
I don't know. I, I, I just, I like the way that, that Matthew uses this. And that there, are, there are possible solutions to this. There's two of them, actually, that are uh, majority ones that are given by, um, by scholars. The first one is that in Isaiah 11, 1, the Messiah is called a branch, a branch of David. And that word branch in Hebrew is pronounced netzer. So Matthew may be using this word as a, like a play on word, this word netzer as a play on the word branch, branch of Jesse, branch of David, that Jesus is a netzerine, the branch of Jesse. Okay, that sounds okay, and I have to say it because they're smarter than me, but the second possibility is where I land, and I think it's much more plausible, that in the time of Jesus, those who were from Nazarene, uh, those who were from Nazareth, they were Nazarenes, were despised. They were looked down upon. Nathaniel, before he becomes one of Christ's disciples, he says this when hearing that Jesus is from Nazareth, he says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Oh, it's like derisive. Can anything good come out of Minnesota? That's what it's like. I know in Minnesota, like, hey, you just don't know what you're talking about. It, no, it's a, it's a slur. He's slandering Jesus. And then in speaking of Jesus, the chief, and the, high, the, the chief priests and the Pharisees say this of Christ, search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Now, they're not saying, go into the scripture and see if it actually happened. They're going like, nah, we could tell you nothing comes from Galilee because they're a bunch of losers over there. They're, you don't want, you want nothing to do with those people. This, this despising was all to fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah 53, 3, which reads of the future Messiah. And maybe you've heard this passage before. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. And so I think Matthew is using this prophecy from Isaiah because Jesus lived in Nazareth to fulfill that prophecy that he would be despised and rejected by those to whom he announced salvation from their sins. Now, all of these prophecies, if you've glossed over, okay, stop, come back, come back, don't gloss over. These are hard prophecies, trying to do it in 10 minutes. Nope, it's not going to be thorough enough. Um, but coming back and bringing all these things together, all of these prophecies, and then all, so many more. You just continue throughout the book of Matthew and maybe look through all those prophecies and study those. And how does Matthew say, look how it's fulfilled. Christ fulfilled this, Christ fulfilled that. It is not an accident. It is not a coincidence that in this one man, all of these prophecies are fulfilled. For nearly 700 years before Jesus' birth, thousands actually, if you consider the prophecy given to Adam and Eve in the garden, God had promised that he would one day raise a ruler who would save his people from, his sin, from their sins. And this ruler would be despised and rejected by many. He would be, uh, all attempts would be made to kill him by those who were in charge. And in fact, 
eventually they succeed. But a faithful remnant who believe and follow him would be restored to God. So the history, God is working throughout the history of Israel, throughout the history of the world to bring about the fulfillment of that one promise. In in other words, he's saying to humanity, you screwed things up in the garden, guys. You broke our relationship. You broke that connection, that, that, that love, that deep, intimate relationship that we once had because you sinned against me and we're all in that boat. There is now a gap between God and us. And God says, you can't fix that gap. So I'm gonna do it for you. Now, I've said this a lot of times too. If it would me, if it was me, I would go to Adam and Eve and go, all right, I'll fix it right now. And then it would be fixed and then we'd all be happy, right? But God goes, I'm gonna fix it in my time and in my way. And I'm gonna work for thousands and thousands of years to bring about the fulfillment of that promise that I will fix that problem of sin that you committed, that you have offended me, that you have committed adultery against me, even though I was faithful to you. And we're here this morning to praise and worship and glorify our God for sending his son to be born that night, 2,000 years ago, to save those who believe. That he took that history and all of it was worked by God to point to that one event, Christ coming to earth to save us from our sins. But the really cool thing, and maybe you haven't thought about this, God hasn't stopped working. It's not like Christ came and God goes, whew, okay, now I can retire and lay on my hammock and hang out. No, God is still working throughout history. If everything in history before the night in Bethlehem was leading and pointing to that first advent of Christ's coming, then everything after that event, after his life and death and resurrection and his ascension into heaven, all of that is leading and pointing to his second advent, his second coming. And so as we look back and we celebrate, maybe I should say it this way. Sometimes we can live our lives like like we're just living the next day, trying to get through as Christians so that we either, when we die, we go to heaven or Christ is going to come back. And we're like, yay. But every day, it's just kind of like, again, maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just me that that I tend to take every day just kind of the same. And I forget, oh, God's working. And he's working not just in my life, he's working throughout history, the history of the world, to bring everything to point to the second advent, the second coming. And so as we look back today, if you're celebrating with family and you remember what Christ did, we should also be looking forward in anticipation and joy. Because God is moving right now in all of history 
moving forward to the day when Jesus Christ returns, not in a manger, not as a little baby, but in fully revealed glory and power to bring his people back to him. Now that's, that's, a, that's a heck of a thing to celebrate at Christmas. Not just look back, but to look forward and to give him glory for that. May we do that today. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your truth. Thank you for your word. Thank you for sending your son um, so many years ago to save us from our sins. Thank you, Father, for reminding us through, uh, through your word that you fulfill all of your promises. None are left void. None are forgotten. They are all accomplished. They are all done because you are making them come true. And so, Father, I pray today as we remember what you did for us, I pray, Father, we would look ahead knowing you're still moving, you're still working, and you're still glorifying yourself and pointing all of history and all of us to the second coming of your son where he will then bring us into your glory. We praise you and glorify you in your name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing joy to the world together?